She understood one day to mean one day. One day I do for Buddha, one day I do for Dhamma, one day I do for Sangha. And that was how she managed to survive a horrific situation that was happening around her teenage daughter. Buddha, for one day Buddha, for one day Dhamma, for one day Sangha. Then she strengthened herself like that. I thought, what a wonderful way of holding a, a language that's foreign and making it work for you. And just by really going to the heart of what it means to take refuge. So all of us here, we're more familiar with these words. But in the course of the day, when we're going through our stuff, it's really important for us to consider and review and feel how much refuge, just check in, how much refuge are we taking? And how much are we just proliferating in old mental habits? If we are getting quiet, but in the background, the habits are still purring away, then we need to dig a little deeper, investigate, and see how we can really work through those habits. They're very hard to let go of. Even if they are not doing us well, even if they are making us agitated, nervous, restless, tense, unhappy. But they're so deeply rooted that we continue to shelter them in a way. We continue to feed them 
We defend them. How do we defend them? By not believing that they're there. It's called denial. Maybe a subtle form of denial. I don't have that. Anybody here recognize <laughs> When I was a young nun, I was practicing in Burma with Sayada Upandita, who was actually very benevolent. He didn't come across to some of the yogis as being benevolent. They used to think he was very fierce. But he must have sussed out that I couldn't handle fierce. So he was really very gentle with me. And one day he asked about my lay life, what I was like, and all the bad things I'd done. And while I was describing it, he said, Oh, you're the angry type. And I said, No, I am not. And then right there I realized how really angry I was. How much anger there was there. And it was an incredible revelation. All he said was, you're the angry type. He didn't shout at me. He just told me the truth. And I got upset. So, if we look deeply within ourselves and we see the truth of our condition, we might get upset. It might really upset us. But it would be better for us to know the truth and be upset than not to know the truth and be deluded. Because the upset would maybe upset our habits. Maybe we could offset them. Maybe we could exile them once and for all. If we really could see them clearly, we would. And we are, we're beginning to see them more and more and more. That happened in 1987. I still have anger to clear out. But it becomes more and more hard to dig up, getting down to the roots of anger, fear, envy, greed, selfishness, impatience, and all of that. The work is exceedingly long. But we mustn't lose heart. We must just try to apply ourselves to it. So when people ask me, what should I do with the tension around my heart? The way the question is worded, I have the feeling that the tension around the heart is unpleasant, is somehow uncomfortable. And whenever we're feeling unpleasant feeling, there's quite a high likelihood that close to that feeling of unpleasantness, there's a feeling of resistance. There's a feeling of dislike, of pain, of judgment. This is wrong. This shouldn't be. Why do I have to feel this? And those kinds of mind states interfere with our ability to feel tension in the body or unpleasant sensations in the body without a mental layer of dukkha on top of the physical experience of 
unpleasant, unsatisfactory. So it's too dukkhas. It makes the project twice as big. And by being the observer, the observer approaches phenomena in the mind as a witness without a judgment. If we had to be a witness in a court of law, then if we brought any judgments into our witness of an event, the legal person would quickly toss it out. Then our opinion would be less valid. If we had been able to just recount events without bias. So we have to try to defend clear seeing as much as possible, not our opinion of what we're feeling, seeing, tasting, touching, or experiencing. Whether it's pleasant, painful, or we don't know what it is, because we're in denial. Or we're not able to come close enough to really look. Every year at the monastery we spend three months on retreat and it's the time to shut the doors and focus more on intensive practice and it's the sanctuary and it's a great privilege to be able to withdraw into the winter and be secluded from the world but of course as we all know seclusion from the world gives us a chance to go deeply into the heart in a way that we probably can't in our busyness, for sure. And one of the things that was coming up for me was the judgment of my actions, which was very unfavorable. And this judgment came from someone quite close, so it was extremely difficult to accept. And there were so many feelings connected to that judgment. One of them was, of course, the fear that this person would no longer want to be a friend, a Kalyanamita. So loss of Kalyanamita, the very first half of the retreat was spent laboring with this unfair judgment. How could this be? And I'm not really like that. You know, all this defendedness and exasperation and what somebody else felt and how much I believed in that judgment and how much fear I felt around it. So I was spinning with that and going through all the motions of sitting down, practicing, feeling heaviness, worry, agitation, and noticing how much one can be influenced by the mental mood and the contents of somebody else's consciousness. And then one day, it suddenly hit me, this is dukkha. What kind of practice is that? It's just that, yes, we can be practicing on many levels, but when it gets to things that are very close to the heart, very deep in the heart, and very difficult to bring into the light, to bring into consciousness, and to call them by their true name, somehow we become feeble. We can do it with everybody else's stuff, but with our own, what we're carrying is harder. 
and to call it by its true name and to be willing to renounce or or let go the attachment to even a close spiritual friend if the suffering that was coming from that couldn't one just renounce couldn't one just let it go make peace with it return it with kindness ah how exhilarating <laughs> so having recognized this is dukkha as is the first noble truth the very next thing that came in my heart was to stop judging myself and the other person stop creating a self and creating another self stop obliterating the path sitting in retreat day after day getting pulled in by these forces of the worldly winds and i started to feel this wave of forgiveness for myself and for this person wave after wave it's okay this this is dukkha i can feel the dukkha of it and having seen the origin of it my own delusion having seen the attachment and the dukkha that that was sustaining and promoting proliferate as soon as i saw it and could call it by its true name then along came the muscle the opening to forgiveness to bring it to forgiving and the heart just moving from dukkha its cause and then bringing the cause of dukkha the factors that sustain this dukkha to an end just for a moment as soon as it hit me this is dukkha imagine being in so much pain and not knowing it not really seeing that it was just pain just spinning spinning just how you imagine people spin yarn how we spin our dukkha and not know that it's suffering so then forgiveness on the heels of forgiveness came this wonderful feeling of metta karuna if this person understands the meaning of true friendship true spiritual friendship then that person wouldn't speak to me in those ways and wouldn't regard me in those ways there could be forgiveness both ways but even if there isn't let me be the first to forgive and to feel compassion love and compassion it's just unbelievable how much joy arose in the heart in those moments and i didn't feel like i had the capacity to even hold that joy i just wanted to offer it to her which i couldn't i was on the tree but it became palpable and the amount of healing that happened as a result of this shift of consciousness from delusion and denial and sense of mistreatment and creating a self around all of that all the things that the buddha tells us not to do and how quickly as soon as we find the root we go somehow through our practice or through having 
walked the path and made inroads into the dark recesses of the heart, we suddenly shine the Dhamma just the right way in there and we wake up to something new. But it's something really important so that a whole shelf of ice just melts. We've heard about the terrible calving in Antarctica where glaciers just collapse. Whole sections of glaciers collapse into the ocean. So I've experienced that glacial melt in the heart. And it's so pricelessly special and freeing. And even after years and years of practice, we must never come to a point of being so discouraged that we lose the faith to be able to see our dukkha with the heart of forgiveness and with the ability to name it clearly for what it is once we really understand it. So the result is that one's faith and one's wish to finish the path only deepens. And one might feel so terribly humbled by this experience, but there's also a tremendous rising up of courage to face what has to be faced, to address it, to undress it, to know it for what it is, to call it by its true name, and to bring it to cessation, if it's unwholesome. As long as the hindrances are operating in there, we can't really get free from them. But as soon as we can see with the eyes of Dhamma, we can see things for what they are. We can know them as anicca, impermanent, dukkha, unsatisfactory, hell on earth, and empty of self. The self is quickly dissolved in the face of that way of seeing with the eyes of Dhamma, seeing the seen as only the seen, the heard as only the heard, the tasted as only the tasted, the touched as only the touch, touch sensation. Just purely for what it is, the hindrance is only hindrance. There's darkness, there's a sense of fear, trepidation, disparagement of one's way of being, all these things, a critical mind, whatever it is, know it for what it is, and not rest with it lurking in the mind. To use whatever tools we've learned to evict it, quickly evict, vanquish, dismantle, whatever is appropriate. Sometimes we have to crush with all our valor and determination not to give up and to know that we are very vulnerable. We are vulnerable and quite fearful beings, insecure in many ways. But there is an island there is a place within us 
where the waves and storms of the heart cannot touch. And that island is our true refuge. It's an island which is a sound refuge because of our understanding of truth, the truth of this teaching, our love of this teaching, our trust in our own potential to awaken, and enough wisdom to pick up the Noble Eightfold Path and walk it. Even if we are on our knees, we can crawl sometimes. Sometimes we're crawling, but we don't, we don't give up. So the scanning of the body, the scanning of the heart, it makes it like an MRI. It has to be in detail, in depth. Mindful and radical investigation. M-R-I. If we can do that, then nothing will go unknown, undiscovered, that needs to be evicted, evacuated. Trace elements, we have to also purify them. Any last trace of the obstacles to awakening. Certainly doubt, not give doubt a centimeter, a millimeter. And if we doubt, then just to use the knowledge of doubt as a hindrance to focus the mind on, just to know it for what it is. Knowing doubt means that we know it. We're not caught by it anymore. If we're angry, if we feel the anger in the body and we understand it, we see it. We feel it and see it. We recognize it. Ha! There you are, anger. There's that Mara, like an intruder. I remember once I was meditating. This was when I was in graduate school. And I had this tiny little studio apartment. So my cupboard was my meditation room. I was sitting in the cupboard meditating. I had a shrine in there and everything. <laughs> there was no clothes. It was just a shrine, a little cubbyhole. That was my monastery, the first one. And I heard this sound. It was midnight. I was meditating, and I heard this sound. And I thought, there's somebody in the apartment. So I got up, and I went into the kitchen, and there was a man standing on the kitchen table. He crawled in through the fire escape. I never even saw his face. I just saw his legs. And I said, get out, and in a very loud voice. And I pointed to the window. And he just went out. And then after he went out, I started shaking. Because <laughs> I, I realized what had happened. But I just knew this is an intruder. What are you doing here? Get out. And then afterwards, I called the police, but they never called me. If we can recognize that that's an intruder, that's how we can establish safety. 
right then and there the intruder has to get out. If we say get out, the intruder will leave. Even intruders get scared. You know, I had so much confidence. This does not belong. <laughs> trust is an incredible power. To trust the Dhamma, trust our refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And it will enable us to conquer the most terrible intruder into our consciousness. How can we allow these intruders into consciousness? We do, because we're not mindful enough. And the more we practice, the more subtle, the more deeply we go into the heart, into the deepest interior castles in the heart, vast depths of the heart, we find more and more refined states of intrusion. Maybe there are layers and layers of ancient intrusive habits that have to be dispelled, dissolved, disempowered. We can do this. We just have to trust our ability, not give up our determination until the work is complete. And not just Rest on our laurels. Oh well, I know how to do this practice. Really? But there are shadows lurking in the unconscious mind. And we have to bring them into consciousness. And that's a slow and sometimes painful process. Wherever there is tension, to go deeply into that with the MRI of our mental fortitude. Scan it really, really deeply. Be resilient in front of it. Like us gardeners, ex-gardeners or gardeners, know how hard it is to uproot certain plants. It takes incredible vigilance. Well, the hindrances of the human mind and the old conditioning in the heart, these are the most difficult to uproot. That's why we need radical patience and investigation. So it's an MRPI. Mindfulness, radical patience and investigation and determination and taking refuge, keeping the company of spiritual friends, and going on retreats and listening to Dhamma, practicing right effort in everyday life, bringing up the Brahma-viharas, Neta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka, over and over again, 